Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. You know, you've heard me talk from time to time about very, very special people doing amazing things. And yet at the same time, I know that each and every one of us looks at ourselves as ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And every once in a while, I come across an energetic presentation, something in the world that makes me take a double take. And it's almost like, oh, really? And today's show is about that. Today's show is about introducing you to an individual. And I could spend the entire show looking at his journey. But I'm going to give you a short version, and then we're going to have a conversation. I'm talking about David Corton, Dr. David Corton. And he is an author. He is a leader, uh, as some would say, within the anti-globalization movement. Movement. He is he is best known as the founder of the People Centered Development Forum and author of the book "When Corporations Rule the World." And this is something very near and dear to me because you all have heard me talk about my research on psychological contract violation. Uh, what I can say about Dr. Corden is that his life really speaks to a journey for me that honors the dignity of the human spirit. He has gone across the planet. He has visited in many countries. He has been in our country, and he has taken so much of his own energy and his own movement forward so that all of us understand that we are here for a greater purpose, something greater than ourselves. He is also a co-founder and a uh, of well, he is co-founder and board chair of Positive Futures Network and publishers of Yes. There are many, many things I can say about him. If if you want to find out more information, you can go to his website, which is davidcorton.org. But today we're talking about his new book and his visit to Seattle. His new book, The Great Turning, From Empire to Earth Community was an eye-opener for me, and as I shared with him, I went back, I read it once, and I went back and read it again and said, am I doing enough? Dr. Corton, thank you so much for joining the show today. Oh, it's a great privilege to be on your show, Dr. Pat. Let me ask, let me start by asking you a question that I ask everyone that I've ever interviewed, pretty much, yep. Uh, and, you know, I've just given people a glimpse of all that you, you've done and all that you're about to do, and... Your new book has come out, and here we, we sit with this conversation that we're about to have. All of the things that you've done, all of the places you've been, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the obstacles that you personally have had to overcome to bring you to this very moment? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I, guess the, I guess the biggest challenge is one that I keep recurring is is finding the courage to Speak unconventional thoughts um, for fear of, of facing ridicule and rejection. Because throughout most of, uh, well, m- much of my career, I shouldn't say throughout most of my life, but uh, and once I started working uh, internationally, um, I find myself often questioning conventional wisdom and taking positions that were outside of the of the mainstream. Um, now that was actually that was that was harder earlier in my career, but actually as I've gotten more more radical in my uh, in my perspectives and and more at odds with some of the deepest uh, uh, belief systems of our culture, um, 
I've been surprised and delighted to find that uh, that I'm not as alone as I thought, and that there are a great many people asking similar questions, uh, coming up with similar perspectives, but are also also reluctant to to speak out for fear of being uh, you know, considered out of step, even uh, even a little crazy. Um, but I, you know, in the end, what what I find happening most often now is people listen with a sense of relief that, uh, wow, uh, if if he's saying it with all of his credentials and experience and so forth, then maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe there's maybe there's something to these uh, uh, these out of the mainstream ideas. Um, and that, of course, is personally reassuring, uh, but it's also reassuring in the larger sense because it's indicative of the fact that uh, we have an awakening of human consciousness sweeping the sweeping the planet, and it is ripe to to challenge so much of the conventional wisdom that I associate with uh, with the culture and institutions of, of empire. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I, I too know what it, what it's like to have people kind of take a look at you and think you're from another planet, actually. Yes. <laughs> and I think sometimes I think I am as well. Uh, the, the journey in the book, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about how people are responding to the book. Um, you know that I'm on radio at least 11 hours a week and, and, you know, people are living so much in the question and yet at the same time, it's difficult for some folks to believe that they truly have the power of choice. I am getting just an amazing response to the to the book from uh, from the people that read it, as well as to my uh, uh, to my presentations. And I I I think this is indicative that uh, that we're seeing a very deep shift happening uh, very rapidly, particularly in the United States as well as around the world. Um, that people are people are increasingly aware that uh, that business as usual is over, uh, and they're they're looking for for new perspectives, a new framework for understanding what's happening and understanding the the steps that we need to take if we're going to have uh, have a positive human future. Um, so, and I you know it, I I had a I had a very very positive response to when corporations rule the world, but that was more. Uh, more aligned with uh, bringing for pe- forward people's resistance to uh, what I now call the global suicide economy, um, but now now we're seeing the need for for positive action, and it's just amazing in the short time the book that's, has been out, the the number of people who come to me and say, "Hey, this is this has got to be my life's work, um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to focus my uh, my energy on this of." Helping people understand understand the, this message, this framework, um, and help build Earth community and in my community, uh, reach out to other other people and organizations, um, discuss the book, um, discuss these uh, these stories of, of empire and the uh, Earth community alternatives. And it's very exciting. I'm finding particularly a very strong response uh, within. Uh, within many of the faith community groups. Well, I want to thank you for for taking time out of your schedule. And I also want to let everyone know that there is a special event in Seattle that is planned for Thursday, September seventh, at the First Baptist Church. 
on Capitol Hill. And you'll you'll be hearing more about that from us. We'll be telling you about this upcoming event and how you can find out more about that and find out how you can attend. Uh, Dr. Corden, I, I, I love the book. And at the same time, uh, there are parts of, of the book, the realization of what we're in the middle of, for me, that really has has had made me really scratch my head to say, you know, have I been asleep for all of these years? What was it that actually made me wake up one day and say, I'm going to do positive radio? And so the question that I would ask you is, because you mentioned it, are people waking up to the realization of creating uh, an, an earth community as you see them? Are we doing it fast enough, <laughs> I guess? I have to believe that uh, that we can do it fast enough. And, you know, all, e- all each of us can do is the, is the very best we can do. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think we should be uh, we should be embarrassed that it's taken us a while to figure it out. Um, you know, the, the underlying theme of my book, of course, is that uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the problems that we face now in terms of our environmental and social crises and that runs the gamut from global warming to peak oil to uh, issues of terrorism, war in Iraq, and so forth, are all manifestations of the dynamic of empire that is a species, the dominant uh, human societies have been locked into for the past 5,000 years. Um, now, what I mean by empire is a system of organization of human societies by dominator hierarchy um, at all levels, from relations among nations to relations among family members. Now, um, you know, that's a very, very oppressive regime, ultimately, and one of the things that was so astonishing to me, you know, I keep little incremental awakenings, was to realize that, uh, yeah, empire, a few people on the top, that means that most people are going to be on the bottom. And then, you know, as I looked at the history, coming to realize that every time you're reading about empire, there seems to be some mention that uh, the, the economy was based on some kind of a system of, of slavery or bonded labor. No, that's that's about most people being on the bottom. Now, how do you keep that kind of oppressive system in place for so long? Well, part of it is you have to you have to manipulate the culture with the cultural stories and come forward with with stories that legitimate, uh, give legitimacy to an uh, ultimately unjust and illegitimate uh, uh, framework of relationships among among people. Um, now. You know, the, the propagandists of, of empire have been very, very effective at that. And we've essentially been living in a kind of a, a cultural trance um, for 5,000 years. So absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I would love to continue this. Let's take a short break, Dr. Corton. And when we come back, let's talk about the stories. Let's talk about the stories that we live in uh, inside our head. Let's talk about the stories as they have unfolded. But as my friend Jean Houston would say, there is a new myth. There is something to leave behind and there's something to create. And Dr. David Corton is here to share his wonderful story and invitation to us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm here with Dr. David Corton, uh, an individual who, as I said before, has dedicated his life to creating a positive perspective, a positive change on this earth. And we're here talking about his latest book, The Great Turning. Uh, from Empire to Earth Community. And we're having a great conversation. And as I mentioned before, this is a fabulous book. Dr. Corton will be in Seattle, and he will be uh, in Seattle with us. Why don't we give out some information, Dr. Corton, about that so people can uh, can come and visit with you? Okay. It's on uh, Thursday, September 7, at the uh, First Baptist Church. Uh, the presentation, the doors open at 7. presentation begins at 7.30. Uh, and that's located at 1111 Harvard Avenue. Um, it is uh, open to the public. It's free, although the sponsoring organizations are requesting a donation. Well, thank you. We were talking about, you know, the stories, and and I I, I couldn't help but be struck by a, a couple of the parts in the book, actually, most of it. Uh, but when I got to Part 3, America, the Unfinished Project, what is the story that we could share with our listeners when we when we look at that America the Unfinished Project? Yes, this is of course one of the one of the major uh, misrepresented stories. You know, we as we as we grew up in this grow up in this country, we are encouraged to believe that uh, that the United States was was founded uh, as a democracy. That the founding fathers were were dedicated to the ideal of liberty and justice for every person and that those values were embedded in our Constitution and that uh, uh, that in crafting the Constitution they created essentially the ideal democratic institutions that secured our, um, our individual uh, rights in, in a system of, uh, of divided powers. Now, you look uh, you know that's that's a, in in some ways a very interesting story because if you really grasp it, it means we have the ideal democracy. We should not trust question it, and we shouldn't be making changes in it. We should accept it as it is. Now, if you take a deeper look, you find a very different story. Uh, that the more radical ideas expressed by the founders. Um, were at a time when they were trying to win for themselves more respect and uh, and authority from the British king, and so that was that was a very real rejection of of colonialism and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, and rule from abroad. But the founding fathers were in fact uh, an elite an elite class. They were they were all white male uh, property owners. And if you look closely at the Constitution, it turns out that uh, it was actually written to secure their rights. Um, and, of course, slavery was originally written right into the Constitution. Um, you know, we think of our country being very uh, very concerned about property rights, but, of course, pretty much every inch of land that, uh, that we occupy was taken from Native Americans, either by force or deceit. Um, Women didn't get the vote until 1920. Um, we have a long history of, uh, of great tension, conflict, violence uh, between uh, working class.
class and the owning class that uh, extends extends back to the uh, to the earliest days of the actually even the settling of the continent. So what we what we begin to see is that yes, there was the break from uh, the break from uh, the British king was was a very important break, and the founders did introduce. Um, you know, it was it was a historic break from rule by monarchy to uh, to rule by uh, by election and and the the early forms of of democracy, and there was also a remarkable um, a remarkable step in the in the separation of church and state, which was really about bringing an end to theocracy, which had been was very strongly established both within the early colonies. Um, and within uh, within most of the of the monarchies, a, a wedding of uh, of religious power uh, with state power. So those were very important advances. But in terms of what we think of as democracy, in terms of the sovereignty of ordinary people, and uh, the idea of liberty and justice for all on an equal basis, uh, we've made we've made a fair amount of progress in that direction. But it has only come through major struggle and. Uh, from step-by-step -step, uh, amendments to the Constitution. Now, this story gives us a very different picture that democracy is an unfinished project, and it, it helps us to understand our, uh, our, our present uh, political uh, dilemmas because what we need to recognize is that from the very beginning, we have had people in positions of great power who absolutely do not believe in democracy in mm -hmm. the sense of, of the of the sovereignty of ordinary people. Uh, we have had people from the beginning that aligned with Alexander Hamilton, who quite self-consciously uh, would have preferred that we have a monarchy because he feels that the the proper way felt that the proper way to run a society is that it be run by uh, you know a special class of people, the the cultured, but most particularly the uh, the people who uh, of of substantial wealth. Now that kind of that kind of government we we call uh, we call a plutocracy, ruled by the by the wealthy, not a democracy. And I think it's actually far more accurate to uh, to identify that our country has, from the beginning, been a plutocracy, and that if we want to have true democracy, um, in the words of Frankie Morla Pay. Um, to have the democracy we thought we had, we have to take it where it has never been, um, and that that story then positions us to look uh, to look much more critically and creatively uh, at the kinds of uh, of political and economic changes that we need to to make if we're going to actualize the the ideals of democracy. Well, Dr. Corton, uh, you know, I was in a conversation, had a conversation the other day, and, and we were just uh, just hanging out, just having a, a chit-chat, sipping our tea, and, and a comment was made to me uh, about what's happening in the world today. And one person in the group said, you know, it seems like we are taking a real distant journey away from what this person felt was democracy. And another person jumped up and said, well, you know, I don't agree with that. I think democracy is about making sure we're protecting our homeland. And in comes this conversation, almost polar opposites of people who thought they were on the same page with the same values. And so the question that, that really came to mind after reading your book, especially the chapter uh, pr uh, uh, Prisons of the Mind, mm -hmm. 
especially that one, where it's, it, it seems difficult for people to figure out what's true these days. Is that part of what's, what's creating a story that doesn't necessarily represent a true democracy? Well, that's absolutely. Um, we get so much misinformation, and uh, the information is shaped so much by ideology. And, of course, um, you know, I grew up conservative um, and Republican, and, I, you know, in our current context, um, you know, I, in some ways I still consider myself a conservative, at least as I think most uh, most Americans understand that term. Right. Which, which means individual responsibility and local control and, uh, um, you know, not too intrusive a government and, and so forth. I mean, these are, these are I think, values that I, I, hold, I hold dearly. Um, our problem comes from what I call a far-right fringe of, political extremists who really are of the Hamiltonian tradition and they'll talk democracy, but their real agenda is to consolidate the power of an elite hereditary aristocracy. And that, of course, is what things like eliminating the estate tax are about. Yes. Um, You know, so that that wealth can pass unencumbered, great wealth from, you know, these people that are pushing this are not really concerned about small farms and small business. They're concerned about protecting the great fortunes so that uh, you maintain family um, family aristocracies like the like the Bush dynasty. Um, now, um, the we of course, you know, the people who are trying to push that agenda are very clever with the pop- propaganda of playing to uh, to people's fears. Um, and of course, this idea that we have to protect the homeland and so forth uh, is is a part of that fear. But you know, it's a very interesting question. You know, about the conversation you mentioned, uh, you know, what's our definition of democracy? I think that's a great question. Let's hold that question because I, I, you certainly have gotten me to think about this uh, in reading the book. I want to uh, mention to everyone that you're listening to uh, my conversation, uh, our conversation, uh, Dr. David Corton, and we are talking about many things, but I want to introduce you to his new book, The Great Turning, from Empire to Earth Community. And so this conversation is a conversation we're just at the tip of the iceberg. But I want to let everybody know we're going to come back from our short break. And when we and when we do, there's much more to talk about, including the conversation that we've we've just started, uh, which references a chapter in the book, Prisons of the Mind. And what's awaiting us is that great turning. I'm Dr. Pat Basile. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. My guest Dr. David Corton, stay tuned. We'll be right back from this short break. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm here with Dr. David Corton. And Dr. Corton, for those of you that are not familiar with his work, um, let me just say that he has spent over 35 years uh, of experience in business, academic, international development institutions, as well as contemporary citizen, citizen action organizations. He is trained in economics, organizational theory, and business strategy with an MBA and a PhD degrees from Stanford University. And all of that 
gets translated into an individual, in my opinion, that has committed his life to creating a better place for all. And uh, I mentioned before, he is co-founder of Yes Magazine. And I've got a copy right here for those of you that are walking through Whole Foods or some of your other stores. There is a, a, a Yes Magazine for this month, as a matter of fact, for fall of 2006, Health Care for All. I've bought five copies of this to send to my relatives who are very interested in this. And we're talking about his new book. Um, I would like to say that uh, my friend Dr. Rianne Eisler says this, The Great Turning is a work of amazing scope and depth. This is a wise and much-needed book that shows we can create cultures where our enormous human capacities for joy, caring, and cooperation are realized. When I, when I say that statement, Dr. Corton, I want to ask you, deep down in your heart, is, is the energy, is the vibration in all that you're doing, does it come from that place where you can see in your lifetime, a place of joy and caring and hope? Well, I think, you know, I experience in my life just a great deal of joy and caring and hope because so many people are, are waking up and we, we're mm. building a growing local, national, global community of, of people who have awakened to these higher order possibilities of our of our human nature and, and the higher order possibilities of, uh, of human societies. Um, so it's no longer it's no longer lonely work. I mean, I often uh, just sort of pinch myself and say, <laughs> you know, how, <laughs> how did this little kid from a little town down in southwest Washington end up in a position of of knowing, being friends with, relating with some of the most incredible people in in the world. I, I so feel the same way. You know, how does this this girl from the Bronx sit here with David Corton? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here with Dr. Pat. <laughs> you know, I used to go swimming by taking uh, the, the cap off of the fire hydrant. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so I really do understand. I do understand what you mean. And I, too, live in that place of joy and caring. What do you think? What do you think it's going to take for the rest of the world to to, to get to that place? Well, I think I think it's happening, and part of it, uh, you know, I, th- I think a very important piece of the work, and and this is uh, this is coming up more and more in the discussions. It's a key theme of the book, but I I, I don't know if I, I, what your experience is, but my experience is I'm not I don't get really clear on what I've written in a book until some months or even years afterwards as I'm you know, discussing the topics with people and going deeper and deeper. And um, the idea of changing our stories is an important theme of the book, but somehow it just it, it keeps sinking deeper and deeper into my own consciousness, the, the centrality of that, uh, of that task, because it's, you know, we humans live by our stories. And those stories shape our perceptions of, of, of reality, of the processes of creation, the human place in creation, and, and our sense of our own nature and possibilities. And, of course, the, you know, perhaps the most destructive of all of our um, empire stories um, is the idea that somehow we are, as humans, inherently flawed. 
Um, right. You know, the religious fundamentalists that uh, were born in sin and, and were, you know, were inherently fallen, or the, um, you know, the idea that comes out of, uh, uh, comes out of Newtonian physics that uh, only matter is real, that uh, life is an accidental outcome of, uh, of material complexity, intellig- uh, intelligence, consciousness are, are simply illusions. Um, you know, those are totally dehumanizing stories. And then, of course, in the scientific realm, you get it played out in the in the social Darwinism, the, what some people consider a misinterpretation of Darwin. But uh, the idea that the whole of uh, the whole of evolution is a process of survival of the fittest and uh, uh, fierce, uh, violent competition. Um, and and then playing out in in some of the economic theories, the idea that uh, you know, our nature is limited to the pursuit of greed. Um, and we're inherently greedy and violent beings. These are all dehumanizing stories, and they all, interestingly, uh, in one way or another, support the um, uh, support the values and systems of uh, of domination of empire. Um, in part, you know, the whole idea that we need to protect ourselves from all these foreign enemies, from these terrorists. Um, you know there is a threat, but the if we if we buy into it that this is this is inevitable and it's an inherent outcome of uh, of our human nature, then this is a justification for imposing order on societies by coercive force of of strong leaders, strong police, strong militaries, and so forth. And it actually denies the extraordinary human. Uh, both striving for community and, and potential for uh, for living in uh, in peace, cooperation, compassion uh, with one another, uh, working for the interests of the whole. Um, and this is you know this is deeply embedded in our nature. But you know the the propagandists in a way have to keep repeating these these stories about how flawed we are in order to keep us from recognizing that potential. And, and that's, you know, as we're as we're seeing the, uh, well, as as the awakening's unfolding, um, and and many of us are experiencing more and more in our lives, uh, you know, being part of groups and organizations that are comprised of people working from deep commitment and, and a very large vision of of human possibility, um, where we're able to move beyond the the individual competition, backbiting, and so forth. Uh, uniting in a larger cause, and I see that, of course, play out in what I think is is one of the most extraordinary phenomenon of the of the whole of the human experience, um, which is the, the the emergence of uh, what we know as as global civil society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this first first became evident in the uh, in the resistance against corporate globalization. You know, and I want to I want to note you you. In the introduction, referred to it as the uh, anti-globalization movement, which is an unfortunate way we allowed our <laughs> we allowed ourselves to be named or even named ourselves in the beginning because we we first became acquainted with this term globalization in the context of a, of a corporate takeover. I know. I, I actually read that and I thought, hmm, I'm going to ask him about that. 
And thank you for bringing it up before I got to ask you. There you go, yeah. <laughs> it's really a misrepresentation because it course, is. this is the most international, most global movement uh, that, that's ever occurred. Uh, thank you so much. I was kind of waiting for the end to kind of get to that one. But yeah. it, 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 I, and that's what I would say. There are, so, look, I, there are so many people, as I would see, let's, let me just say what I see yes. when I read this book, holding hands. Do you know what I mean? Yes. If you can have a visualization of people that are waking up, all of a sudden waking, in, uh, waking up and finding someone else's hand to hold. Mm-hmm. You know, a world of people now holding hands in the spirit of what you've written about. That's exactly right. And, you know, it, it's been so incredible to see this, this movement come forward. My, my first taste of it came in 1992, you know, it's not that long ago, uh, in Rio at the, uh, at the Earth Summit, United Nations Conference on, uh, um, on Development and the Environment. Now, there were, a lot of, there were official meetings there of both, you know, heads of government and so forth that uh, produced virtually nothing. Um, but the really extraordinary experience was the 15,000, 20,000 people from around the world that... Uh, that organized the, the NGO forum, the Civil Society Forum, and very chaotic discussions. But this was one of these epiphany, epiphany moments when realizing that out of these discussions of what people valued and the commitments they wanted to make to one another uh, were a set of underlying values that were shared by virtually everyone. And this, you know, these were people coming from every nationality, race, linguistic grouping, class, etc. But we all shared the same deep values of a world of peace, of community, of sharing, cooperation, joy, compassion. And that those came forward as human values. And as we recognized that, that began to form the foundation of, of potential for, for tr- global movements uh, growing out of a deep sense of, of, of human values and, and, and aspirations. Now, you know, we, of course, in Seattle saw the, you know, this kind of burst to the fore in the, uh, uh, in the resistance against the World Trade Organization that, yes. that, that shut that down. Um, and, of course... You know, we still hear um, hear some of the reporters and pundits referring to the uh, to the riots. Um, of course, they don't mention that it was the police who were rioting. <laughs> Just a small detail, but you know, yeah. <laughs> that's part of the story stuff that's going it on is here. Part of the story that's stuff. part of the story. Let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue talking to Dr. David Corden, and we're going to be talking about birthing Earth community. What does that mean? And this is truly an invitation for each and every one of us to look at the story, change the story, and change the future, as Dr. Corden would say. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, and I'm having an amazing conversation and a fabulous time here uh, with Dr. David Corton, and uh, I'm referring to his book, and we're talking about it, as a matter of fact, The Great Turning from Empire to Earth Community. If you would like to find out more about Dr. David Corton, about his work, about his, his involvement in community, it's easy to do, www.davidcorton.com. David, K-O-R-T-E-N 
com, and that will take you to a lot of uh, other information, articles, books, affiliations, and, of course, information about Yes Magazine. Uh, you are going to be in Seattle September 7th, and I think it's so important that, uh, uh, please, let's give out that information one more time, Dr. Corden. Okay. Thursday, September 7th, starts at 7.30 at the uh, First Baptist Church, and that's at 1111 Harvard uh, Avenue. Perfect. And uh, we'll make sure that we keep announcing it so all of you hear it over and over and over again. Uh, I referred to birthing Earth community before the break. And, and you know, this is in this segment, uh, I also mentioned change the story, change the future. Uh, and part of that chapter, or the way that this next part of the book goes, uh, really does talk to me about our unlimited possibilities, our creative potential. But again, it really does talk to this idea of how creative we could get with the new story. So is this an invitation for people to stop for a minute and create the story that they want, not just for their lives, but for generations to come? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, it's so interesting to... um, you know the kind of process that we're we're beginning to uh, uh, to to understand um, by which we come to to understand the different stories, um, starting with our personal stories. Um, I had uh, I had a conversation recently with Cecile Andrews, who's uh, also from Seattle um, and who is very active in uh, in discussion groups, um, organizing discussion groups all around the country. Um, and she was talking to me about the connection between our personal stories and the larger cultural stories of the society, and, and taking, first of all, the example of, uh, of the women's movement and the, the conventional story that uh, a woman's happiness comes through finding the right man and getting married, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And when women got together in their, um, in their discussion groups in the birth of the women's movement, they shared their stories. Um, it, lo and behold, turned out that uh, that was not the that story didn't work for a lot of people. Yeah, that wasn't the story. That wasn't the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that was a that's a wake up call. Yeah, but of course, you know, most of them went into these discussions with the assumption that, well, I'm you know, must be something wrong with me. It didn't work for me, but obviously, that's the larger story. Um, now. You know, th- through through that process of sharing personal stories, they they, they come to realize uh, the the larger picture, the truth, and of course the area that that Cecile is particularly focused on is is voluntary simplicity. So there again, you get you know uh, the story of the culture is that uh, that happiness comes through material possessions and having a really big home and uh, a big SUV, et cetera, et cetera. Um, of course, if you get people together in intimate conversation discussing what brings them true happiness, it turns out those are not the things that bring happiness. Um, the true happiness comes from relationships, from community, from sharing. Um, now, um, you find also if you get people together to share the story of their personal uh, personal spiritual journey you know very often it is a move from 
rather more conventional religious ideas uh, to a deeper sense of, of spirituality and the interconnectedness of being and of creation, um, and a deeper sense of, of, of the creative opportunities of our, our life experience. Um, again, changing the you know, which is which is a frame that is is very different from the framing of uh, of much of our conventional religious discourse. Um, you know, part of my own awakening. Uh, you know, I spent uh, I spent much of my life working uh, overseas uh, as a development professional with the you know going abroad with the idea that uh, uh, we serve the well. I started out from a very conservative frame. I was, uh-huh. you know, as a, as a college student, my decision to, to, to go into international development work came out of a, a concern that uh, the communist revolutions were spreading across the world and threatening our American way of life. And, right. You know, to, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you were there at that time. Too. I tried to join the Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> So, but back then, the, you know, back then women were just, uh, you know, you, you, there's no way the woman was going to get up in a plane. Okay. Yeah. Did you say you joined the Air Force? I tried to at oh, 17. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. But uh, but I understand the value system back then and what we. Uh, but I remember. I know what the story was. Yeah. You know, my father had one of these rooms in the basement where you put all the food because you're going to get bombed. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so. Um, you know, I, I devoted much of my life to, uh, you know, initially uh, the idea was to bring American uh, management business methods to the rest of the world so that uh, so that they could learn to be rich, happy, materialist consumers like us. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, over time I became aware that, you know, the, the kind of underlying ideology, the story is that, uh, that progress is measured by economic growth, growth and economic output. And yet, somehow, over time, it seemed that um, you know countries were growing their economies, and, and by conventional economic indicators, uh, uh, seemed to be getting wealthier. And yet, more people seemed to be struggling at the margin and having a very hard time just getting by. Kind of um, mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, it took me a long time to come to this framing, but you know, it's, eventually, it sort of dawned on me that what. What's happen, really happening, what, you know, what GDP and economic growth really measures is the rate at which the, the resources of the poor are becoming expropriated by the rich to turn them into garbage. You have to think about that for a moment. You do have to think about that. I mean, but that really, it, that's the punchline, isn't it? That is the punchline. That's the punchline. whole development enterprise. Right. The transfer of resources from the poor to the rich to turn them into garbage. Right. And, uh, you know, I sometimes refer to uh, GDP as a measure of the rate at which we're growing our garbage dumps. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, put those, you put those two together and, uh, you know, gradually recognizing that so many of the development projects that I witnessed in Asia, um, you know, were about taking over land from poor people for, for dams, for... Um, Agricultural estates, for golf courses, for um, country clubs, seaside resorts, whatever it was. But the inexorable dynamic was taking over the resources of people who are poor, 
uh, for the benefit of people who are already better off. And, and of course, again, you look at you know the decision-making tools that we used, which seem totally logical. Um, you know, you evaluate your choices. You develop what project will produce the highest return to money, highest financial return. Well, that seems logical until you realize what that really is about is producing the highest return for people who have money. Um, it's the return of money to money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's that, the highest economic mm-hmm. value use. But how different is that from what's going on now? Not different at all. I, <laughs> I'm sitting here. You know, I'm sitting here, and I've 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 gone through uh, Yes Magazine, and I've just uh, I I finished going through it quickly, and I I looked at the whole healthcare for all, and I'm thinking, why is this such a stretch for us? Yeah, I mean, the whole healthcare system is designed to produce maximum profits for big corporations owned by very wealthy people. Um, It's not about providing healthcare to people, and of course, that yes, that yes issue is about the the conventional story we're fed that we can't afford health care for everyone. And what the, what the issue points out is that uh, um, you know, there are a lot of countries around that spend far less per capita on health care, have, have health care programs that cover everyone, and they are, uh, people are healthier and it's less cost. Um, so the new story is we absolutely can have health care for all, and we can do it at far less cost than what we're spending now. Um, well, Dr. Corden, I, I want to ask you uh, in these closing minutes or so that we have here, uh, I want to, first of all, let me thank you. Thank you for taking time to join us today. Uh, I'm so appreciative. And, and, and in closing today, would you please share your personal message for our listeners? Well, the large message is that creation is an ongoing process and that we are participants in the larger enterprise of, of creation. Um, that we are each here for a purpose. I mean, one of the stories out of the new biology is that the successful species are not really the most brutal and competitive. They are the species that find their place of service to the whole. Mm. Those are the ones that survive and prosper over the long term. And that is our human challenge at the moment. Uh, and it involves, it involves recognizing that our distinctive capacity as a species is our capacity for conscious choice, self-reflective conscious choice. And we have arrived at this moment in the human experience where our survival depends on recognizing that capacity and making the choice to be of service to the continued creative unfolding of the whole. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And that is certainly what I'm looking at, again, after reading the book, The Great Turning. Thank you so much, Dr. David Corton. And thank you all for listening to The Dr. Pat Show. Much to think about, much to decide. We'll see you tomorrow.